want to talk about the Orlando Magic next. Let's let's talk let's talk about the Magic. The Magic I think they're a really interesting situation. Uh of late, you know, obviously they started off red hot and they were dominating on the the defensive end. Questions about could the offense keep up? Questions about could they maintain the defensive dominance that they've had the last couple of weeks? The Magic have not been able to sustain that. We've seen their defense their offense be really bad even worse than it's been um across the early part of the season 110.7 per 100 possessions offensive rating the last two weeks which is 26 in the nba during that time and even the defense has kind of come down to earth a little bit 119.1 points per 100 possessions that they're giving up on the defensive end for a really gross uh net differential of minus 8.4 magic have um, crashing down to earth just over the last couple of weeks. Not to say that they won't bounce back. It could be a rough stretch. But at the same time, you know, the teams that they play, they play some tough teams. Miami, Milwaukee, uh, Philadelphia. But they've played some bad teams, Washington and, uh, you know, the Indiana Pacers, who haven't been playing well as well. So I don't know. Uh, where are you at with the Orlando Magic? They ha- were a great story. I think they're still... Their defense is legit, in my opinion. They have really excellent defensive players. Like, essentially, everybody who gets rotation minutes there is a really good defensive player outside of uh, Cole Anthony. But on the offensive end, like, uh, how, do they, how do they score consistently? You know, Franz has not played up to the standard that I kind of expected from him. I expect some positive, um, uh, some, some regression on, on, on his offensive play, and I expect him to shoot better moving forward. But... I don't know. I, I I'm not sure that I see it on the on the offensive end from them. So where are you at with the Magic? So I think it's interesting to that that you that you brought up Franz because I wanted to start at Franz and and Paolo. Um, I feel like they're paired together quite often, and I'm not gonna. I, I think Paolo has the tools, the physical skill set. He could be really good one day. I don't think even despite Franz's shooting struggles this season, by the way, Franz has a higher true shooting percentage this season than Paolo. So like in with, with his, with him struggling as a shooter, he's still been the more efficient player. Um, so this season with both Franz and Paolo on the court, um, the magic are barely losing those minutes. They're losing by like a point per hundred possessions. With Paolo on the court and Franz off the court, they're losing by a little bit more. They're losing those uh, those minutes by 1.72 points per 100 possessions. With Franz on the court and Paolo off the court, they're winning by 9.5 points per 100 possessions. So I think it's fair to say that right now Franz is pretty clearly their best player. And I think the Magic, first and foremost, would be helped by trying to elevate him and get him more consistent. I think when I watch the magic, I see a team that runs the offense through their point guards a lot. And like Cole, Anthony, Anthony black, Markel Fultz. I know he hasn't been healthy recently, but when he was healthy, these are the guys that start the offense and Franz kind of just has to figure it out. He's like for Knicks fans, he's just like a taller Emmanuel quickly in a way. It's like, he's asked to fill a lot of different roles. There's not a lot of consistency to what he's asked to do on the court. But because he's such a jack-of-all-trades, he figures it out a lot of the times. Um, And also in those minutes, in the Franz no-Palo minutes, they have 121.6 offensive rating. So, like, 
they do figure it out. I just think that with when you have Franz at the three and Powell at the four and then a center at the five and Wendell Carter Jr.'s back, it's nice that he can shoot. That's still a pretty big plotting lineup offensively. There's not a lot of movement off the ball. There's a lot of standing around. The space gets a little uh, – the, the paint, excuse me, gets a little congested. Um, am I saying that this pairing is untenable and won't work for the future? Of course not. They're young. They can improve as players. They can figure out their chemistry together. But I do think that's something to watch because the franchise is betting a lot that those two will figure it out. Yeah, I, I think this is a great point that you bring it up. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say I've been a Paolo skeptic, but I haven't been like sold on Paolo yet. And, you know, he's shooting 36% from three this year, pretty low volume. I don't believe in the shot. I think he was shooting higher earlier in the season. It's coming down. I don't believe in the shot so far just yet. You mentioned that Franz has a higher true shooting than than Paolo. It's not saying much. <laughs> Paolo has, has, is in the 24th percentile in true shooting in the NBA. Uh, I don't remember what percentile RJ Barrett is in, but I'm pretty sure RJ is uh, has a is more efficient player than, than Paolo Bencaro. No, um, he's lower. Damn, okay. <laughs> Sorry, RJ. Um, I was trying to. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. It's it's 53 after last night, I believe. Let's find it. Yeah, 53.3 percent, 19th percentile. All right. Yeah. Sorry, RJ. I, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Paolo has been good defensively. Paolo is in an environment where everyone is good defensively. It's kind of hard not to be good defensively. Like, and I know when we talk about impact metrics, ideally, what they do is they isolate one's impact. It, you know independent of their environment but in real in reality in practical terms it's essentially impossible to do that because for instance Paolo may have easier matchups because of the strong defensive players next to him and you're just never going to be able to truly isolate independent of the teammates and the players around you so of course that's what it's trying to do but I would say in a different environment I don't think Paolo would have as strong a defensive impact as he's had so far and I just think like really to me, Paolo Bancaro, I've always viewed it at his ceiling as like Julius Randle. And I, and I've made that comparison early in his rookie season, I think even before his rookie season started. And I don't think he's going to be as good as Julius Randle. Julius Randle, I give Julius Randle a lot of shit. Julius Randle is a, an elite talent player in the NBA. And wait, you're, you're talking about, Julius Randle of the team that every time they step foot on the court, the other team has a better player. <laughs> yeah, that 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 exact Julius. Surely, Randall. surely that means Paolo is better than him right now. <laughs> that I mean, by that logic, it would mean that. So it must, yeah. by definition, I must not agree with that. <laughs> that A premise. equals B. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I must uh, be missing something. Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith is too too high a basketball mind to. <laughs> I wonder if they would agree with that if the, when the Knicks play the Magic, if still the Magic have you know the best player on the court somehow. Um, clearly, they, they probably have it. They probably don't even know the Magic are still in the league. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they have point. a segment dedicated to guessing what what team a player is on. They like embrace how little they know about the NBA, and they win <laughs> fuck, and they and then they, and then they win fucking Emmy awards. It's insane. What are we doing, God? <laughs> Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> I 
Hold on. This segue We're definitely cutting this, huh? <laughs> no, we are not cutting. This segment brought to you by Frank Barrett 119 has been tremendous. Just completely given strays to, uh, I don't even remember what the show is called. Um, but Inside yeah. Inside the NBA. To inside the NBA, the fact that they embrace the fact of how little they know about the league and yet expect us to take their takes seriously and authoritatively. Very, very interesting dynamic. Um, but anyway, to continue what I was saying, yeah. So I, I mean, Paolo's 21. He's going to get better. You know, I do think ceil- his ceiling is Julius Randle. I do believe that. Julius Randle is an incredible all-NBA level player. If Paolo got to that level he would have conferred value at being the 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 number one pick. So I, I do I do think that is a reasonable ceiling for him. But right now I'm not seeing it. Again, opportunity to develop. He can become more efficient. He's gonna need to 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 be a better rim finisher and he should be at his size and strength and stature and all those things. Um I think he'll get better. But I don't think this Magic team is going to be legit with regard to being a top four, five team in the East. I think, I think the Knicks will surpass them, and I think that's just because of the lack of high end talent. And like you said, Franz, who is also very young, twenty two, he to me is clearly their best player, um, and I think they are going to need to embrace that and really run a lot of things through him. I think he's a much better passer than. Uh, he is given credit for i think he's he's seen as like kind of like a spot up finisher but he can do a lot of things a very versatile player and so i think they need to make those changes but at the same time i think it's very limited in what they can do until their players really develop and grow as offensive players and i think we'll see that because those guys are so young but i don't think this is a year where we're going to see that really that that big leap they're going to rely on their offense on their defense and their offense is going to struggle their last game that they played against philadelphia they scored at a at a paltry ninety five point eight per one hundred possessions rate, which is completely horrible. And they've had a lot of those kind of stinker games where it's just like, dude, they can't score at all. Like, there's just nothing they can do. So, um, and Embiid yeah. Embiid didn't even play in that game. And great point. Embiid didn't even play, which is crazy. The fact that Embiid didn't play, and they also they still they shot forty four percent effective field goal percentage in that game. Embiid didn't play and they even got to the free throw line a ton and still couldn't score. So yeah, it's just, I, I, I don't see it in the cards for them. So I, that, that, that's where I'm at with the magic. Any, we, uh, last we, we haven't said, have have yeah, I just wanted to say we, we didn't say his name, but Jalen Suggs is awesome at basketball and deserves to be appreciated. He is number two in the entire NBA in defensive EPM. So, you know, very good at defense. Um, I'm, yeah, number two. Holy shit, Xavier Tillman, number one. That's cool. Um, the more you know, got 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 to watch some more Grizzlies games. Um, man, we gotta. I mean, I know this is completely off topic, but dude, we gotta do devote like a whole podcast to this John Morant situation. We do. Like, we really do. Like, what yeah. the hell, man? What the <laughs> <We> hell? <really laughs> <do. laughs> they yeah. just figured out how to play basketball with John Morant on the court. Like, that's just it, the amazing thing is like the intangible. There's. The, I, I'm convinced, and obviously I don't have the evidence to really support this, but I'm already convinced that I just think that they're playing harder and like they care more that Jaws there. I don't know if they were discouraged early in the season, like, ah, we can't win, it doesn't matter kind of thing, we'll wait for Jaw to get back, but they the, just the energy from all of the players is completely different, and literally everybody's playing better. It, individually, it's playing better with Jaw there, so I... 
I, I yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't, I can't explain it. Yeah. Um. But including Xavier Tillman, apparently, who's number <laughs> one in the entire NBA. And hang on, I want to say Xavier Tillman is also probably the worst offensive player in the NBA, or 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 something yeah. approximating it. So uh, yeah. But but sure. Dude, he's a walking bucket. He's got it from the elbow, man. Um. <laughs> I actually don't know if that's true. Um, I don't think that's true. Yeah, <laughs> it probably isn't. I'm sure EPM would 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 catch that. Um, but Suggs is number two in defensive EPM, which is really good, really good de- defensively. He's amazing off the ball, and he pairs it with just size, athleticism on the ball against guards. He's a really, I mean, he's really, really good defensively. And then on offense, you know, he's hovering around uh, league average. True shooting's over sixty percent this year, sixty one percent. Efficiency was always his issue. And guess what? His three-point percentage has only gone up from 33 to 37%. That I'm not going to say it's definitely going to sustain, but that's a more reasonable, sustainable improvement from a 24-year-old. Um, and more encouraging, he's shooting 58% from two as opposed to 49.5% last season. So when you have all these different leaps, this is what XJ always talks about. You know, if if your impact improvement is all predicated on one thing. You really need that one thing to sustain. Otherwise you haven't actually improved, you know, like you don't want to bury RJ Barrett while he's down, but that was XJ's entire point is that did RJ get better as a basketball player or is he just shooting really hot? And that's encapsulating the totality of his impact. Um, With Jalen Suggs, he is impacting the game more defensively. He's shooting better from three and he's shooting meaningfully better from two. He's doing everything better. So even if one of it is just noise, he's a better basketball player. We can we can very definitively say that Jalen Suggs has improved as a basketball player. Um, so I think he deserves a shout out. And I think the Magic, like I was saying with Franz earlier, I think they would help themselves a lot if they stopped dicking around at the guard position and gave Jalen Suggs, you know, the thrust of the minutes because he's a guy that I was talking about who from an impact perspective, so little of his impact is tied up in whether his shot is falling or not. And I don't watch Orlando enough to know for sure, but it seems to me like he would be a guy who a lot of coaches would be like, Oh, he doesn't have the shot going tonight. Let's pull him. Um, And I hope that's not the case in Orlando. I'm going to start looking for it closely because Frankly, he deserves 30-plus minutes a night whether his threes are falling or not. He's playing that good defensively. He's, I love Tim out of Gonzaga, and I was wrong about this because I really like Scotty Barnes now. I thought Toronto going with Barnes over Jalen Suggs was a huge mistake. Um, they've Luckily, they've both been good, so I was wrong about that, but I'm not too wrong. Um, I loved Suggs at Gonzaga because he just did all the intangible things. He just I know this isn't like analytical at all. I know that's probably not why – people who are listening to this come here but you just watch the guy and there was a gravitational pull to him he just he made his teammates better he seemed to be in the right position a lot he just seemed like a winning basketball player to me and again not perfectly perfect analysis that's not going to be right all the time but i'm glad to see it's carrying over in the nba and i think that those guys who you know when we create our lube stat he's going to be one of the guys who has a lower lube because so scoring, getting direct on ball assists, he does so much more that doesn't show up on the initial box score, and he just makes the magic better when he's out on the court. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I want to give a shout out to Mensa from Nick's Film School, who has been on the Jalen Suggs before this, even before the season or early into the season. Mensa was saying that Jalen Suggs is essentially the next uh, Alex Caruso. And that seems to be map on pretty, pretty well as far as the way that they impact the game. The, uh, the defensive impact, the, the way that they can help out offensively without a ton of usage seems to map on really well. Um, I mean, I think even Caruso this year, he has a pretty good offensive impact, but he's shooting 46% from three. I don't think he's a 46% three-point shooter. So maybe some of what we're seeing from Suggs is a little more sustainable. So I, I think that's all really well said. And, and really the kind of player that we both value a ton, again, like you said, so much of the impact comes not from their usage, not from, um, you know, what they can do on ball, but really what they can do all around the the, the better offensive players that they have on, on the court. I do want to say as far as the magic, I think that my guess would be that I think that they are, although they've played above what they've been expected coming into the season, I don't think they're falling prey or falling victim to the idea that they're ahead of schedule and they need to to kind of go all in or anything like that. I think that they they know that they're taking their time. They know that Franz is 22 and Paolo is 21 and, and all these guys are super young. And so I think that that's probably the reason why Suggs is only getting 26 minutes. I think if they were like win now kind of thing, I think Suggs would be playing well over 30 minutes. But I think they want to spread those minutes out to a lot of their younger players. You know, they want to get Anthony Black minutes. They want to get um, Cole Anthony minutes, even though, you know, I'm not the highest on Cole. I think he's uh, anyway. But yeah, they, they, they want to get other guys. They want to get other guys minutes and uh, kind of get development from all of these players. I think if I think if it was a matter of like, hey, crunch time, we need to win games. I do think Suggs would be playing more. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I, in all honesty, I don't get to watch nearly as many Magic games as I want to because, for those who don't know, I live in Florida and I live in Jacksonville, which is two and a half hours from Orlando, meaning that their games get blacked out for me on the NBA League Pass. So when I watch Orlando, I have to watch them illicitly and don't tell anyone. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I don't get to watch as much Magic as I as I, I'd like to, but I have watched a fair to- a bit of them as they've had their success early in the season, and there are these various players that I want to see, particularly Franz and 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 Jalen Suggs as well. So for sure, that that is something that we've seen the 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 Orlando Magic with their calling card being defense, not being great on offense. The Indiana Pacers are the exact opposite, and they have been the exact opposite the entire season. Um, they have been an extremely potent and great offensive team and a terrible defensive team. But what we've, what we've seen from them lately is a similar kind of trajectory as what we've seen for the Magic. Their defense has gone from bad to, like, all-time bad. Like, they've been terrible defensively. Um, the last two weeks, giving up 1273 Points per 100 possessions, 30th in the NBA during that time span. The offense has really fallen off down to 117.2 points per 100 possessions. It's kind of funny that 117 points per 100 possessions is considered falling off at this stage in the NBA, which is insane to say. But that's really falling off, especially from the heights that they've been at. Um, And that is good for a point differential of minus 10.1 per 100 possessions. Uh, really, really bad. The Pacers not looking good since the in-season tournament. 
I don't know. Uh, they they haven't played like the best competition, you know. They, they throw a Charlotte in there, who they dropped a million points on, but you know they have played the Clippers, they have played the the Timberwolves, they have played the surging Memphis Grizzlies. Um, they played Houston, who has been very solid. So I don't I, I don't know. What, what are you seeing from the Indiana Pacers of late and just overall? Yeah, it just has to start with the defense. Um, I watch a ton of Pacers. I actually, there's a there's a bunch of teams that I just end up watching a lot of. The Rockets are, what I think I've watched like every Rockets game this season, which is crazy. Like that's, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's. I have no idea why. I think I just love Jabari Smith Jr. I don't, and I don't know why either. I he he had such a bad rookie season, such a bad rookie season. And he played summer league as, you know, a former, what was he, the number three pick, number two pick, whatever he was. Um, I know he was a top three pick. I just, I just always mix up if Chet went second and he went third or whatever. I assume he went third, but um, he had such a bad rookie season. And he played summer league as a second year, former top three pick. And they asked him why he played summer league. And he said, well, I was horrible my rookie season. So what excuse do I have to not play summer league, not play every chance I have and keep trying to improve? Which you is to be so it. cool. Yeah, that, that type of humility, that type of like knowing what you're not good at, knowing the improvements, that type of self-awareness that's so sadly rare in today's day and age and especially amongst younger people, not to sound like angry man yelling at clouds. But um, I thought that was super cool and made me want to root for him. Anyways, uh, yeah, I watch a lot of Pacers, watch a lot of their film. Their defense has just fallen off a cliff. Um, it just... Halliburton's awful, man. Halliburton's defense is terrible. He is legitimately one of the worst defenders in the entire NBA. Um, and that look, that was cool. Uh, I mean, it still is cool that he's you know one of the best offensive players in the NBA. I'm not saying he isn't, but when you're in the third percent percentile in defense, he's he should be better. He look. There's no reason for a man. There are reasons, but there's no reason for the gap to be as wide between him and somebody like Kobe White or Emmanuel Quickly. There just, there just isn't like, and there you go across the league. There's tons of guys who are who have less of a physical profile that would be conducive with good defense than Tyrese Halliburton. Every do you team think, has. Do you think small. offensive load is a is a valid reason for this? He does. He, there's heliocentric and then there's Halliburton like Halliburton and Luca are kind of in their own little universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they can't really do anything else because the Pacers don't have anyone else who can create offense. Um, they could lighten his load a little bit by encouraging him to stop with the whole, okay, I probed, I didn't like it, let's reset, and use, like, he uses such a high percentage of shot clock sometimes, just dribbling until he gets the perfect look, and he creates a lot of good offense. Again, not complaining about his offense, but there has to be a way to strike a a little bit of better balance because dude is 6'5", 6'6", he's got a great, he's he's long, he can jump, he's athletic. He should not be the worst defender in the NBA who plays the minutes he does. And I actually think the Pacers would be well-served overall if his offensive load lightened a little bit and he uh, re-aligned that energy to defense. 
And the reason I'm going to give is a little bit more intangible. I think basketball teams form the identity of their best players. I, I think that's something that goes untalked about a lot. And I think if his teammates saw Halliburton starting to hone in on defense more and impact defensively more, I think other guys might follow suit because, you know, I don't think that they can be this great defensive team or maybe they can't even be league average. But when you have Miles Turner, you have Bruce Brown, you have a guy who profiles like Matherin, you have Neesmith, you have, you know, these are guys who should individually – you have Nemhard, exactly. He's he's starting at shooting guard now. You have you have these guys who do profile as people who can help you defensively. It shouldn't be this bad. And I have to think that part of it is they're doing this run and gun style that that suits Halliburton's offensive game, and they're all just so focused on that on the court that they all collectively ease off the throttle defensively. So I could be wrong, but I have to assume that, or I do assume that if Halliburton was better defensively, that would have a compounding effect on the rest of the team. And the team would see gains that are greater than the individual uh, gains that would happen. I think this is an incredible point. I really do. And because I don't think that Halliburton's terrible defense is a result of just an inability to play defense. I do think it is, I think part of it is offensive load. I agree he does kind of these probes and resets. He, he And I agree he takes up a ton of the shot clock a lot of times. I watch a fair amount of Pacers as well, and you see that a lot. But he is just, if you watch him, like if, if you just watch, you know, in, in pro football focus, they, when they, give their uh, grades on players. They'll just like watch every play and just focus on an individual player. And that's how they grade them. Um, Sometimes I will just watch a player that I'm curious about the entire game for like, not the entire game, but like the entire back and forth for maybe like five or six minutes of of a stretch. And so I'll do that with Halliburton. I'll just like watch him. And when you watch him go shift from the offensive mindset to a defensive mindset, it's like he checks out. He like literally checks out. Like he'll just be like floating around. He's not in a defensive position. He's standing very upright. He doesn't seem focused at all. He's kind of looking at the ball. There's no vigilance attached to it. There's no vigilance. And I think that that is all mindset. And kind of like with the RJ Barrett conversation, is it something that he can change? Yeah, I would say he can change that. Is it something that he will change? I think the only way he will is if that becomes a focus of the team. Like, I I, I don't know what, what Rick Carlisle is telling these guys, but I don't see why it's acceptable for Halliburton to give that little, like, care about the defensive end, especially when he's off ball. He's on ball. He's, he's a turnstile a lot of times. So when he's off ball... He doesn't even seem to like worry about what's happening. I think he he's more worried about okay when the ball goes through the hoop, I'm running to 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 take the inbounds and to run it up the court. That's what it seems to care about the most. So yeah, I, I, is it something that can change? I, I I think so. I hope so. It would be really sad to see this kind of the level of offensive engine and player that Halliburton is. I think Halliburton is essentially like the legitimate legitimate kind of fully fully formed version of like what we thought Trey Young would be in my opinion um in terms of he's a be- he's a much better shooter and just as good a passer and 
and, and just as much of a heliocentric engine to the offense. I think I think Halliburton can steer a better offense, honestly, than Trey Young can. And so I, I really would love to see the, this team and, and him be really successful, but I, there's just not going to be. And if he's going to play defense like this, it's just it, there's really no chance. Um, and then the can, you, wanna, can, 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 yeah. can you can uh, you before before you move on? Can yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have you teach the class again uh, one more time because, you know, you know that I, you know, no data study it, but there are just certain things that stick out to me as confusing. I know you've watched yeah. a lot of Pacers. Mm-hmm. Halliburton has the lowest usage of like any of these elite offensive guys. Yeah. And that doesn't jive with the film at all for me. Mm-hmm. Like, so why do you think that his usage is so relatively low compared to the other guys who are elite offensive options? Like what is usage reflecting here that maybe yeah. doesn't show up on the film? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's there's usage and then there's like offensive load. And Halliburton's offensive load will probably, I haven't looked, but probably is number one in the NBA, I would guess. Usage just refers to the number of possessions that ends in that player taking the shot and or turning it over and or getting to the free throw line. So that says nothing of like his insane 47.6% assist percentage. None of that is encapsulated within his usage. So it would be like, you know, you could kind of roughly look at like, let's say his assist percentage and his usage and like combine that in a way that's still not accurate. But as there's, there, there are metrics called, uh, you know, offensive load, which he would almost certainly lead the league in um, or, or be like similar to like a Luca, which you compared him to, which makes sense. So that that's why his usage is so low. His usage is so low just as a result of he doesn't get to the free throw line a ton and takes a, a good number of shots, but not near the number of shots that the elite offensive players take because his offensive impact comes from his passing and, and, and his ball dominance uh, in that way. Usage seems a little flawed to me because it, it, it only counts assists, right? Not potential assists. Usage does not account assist at all. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's definitely flawed to me though. <laughs> yeah. Usage is a shitty stat, dude. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Us- that's why, again, like I said, I, I look at stats that reflect offensive load, which consider um, assists. There are some that consider assist and potential assist, but usage does not consider any of that. Usage is about shooting, turning the ball over and uh, taking and taking free throws. So, you know, if you if you pass more, your usage will go down, but it doesn't it doesn't reflect your ball dominance whatsoever. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. That yeah, was so, that was well that was what that was well said by you, XJ, and well heard and, by me. Did you well did you hear it well as well? That's Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, anyway, so um I guess the other thing I was going to talk about was I don't know. I, I feel like the Pacers are well constructed. They're, they're well constructed, and like you mentioned, they have guys who can play defense. Uh, I, I I don't really see there being a reason for them to be as bad. I mean, I think Buddy Hield is not a good defensive player, but he hasn't been horrible in a vacuum this year. And I just think that they're well constructed. I think that there, there's a lot more that they can do to to lock in on that. And there just seems to be not a focus on that end. And I feel like 
they were outscoring teams early in the season. It's like, yeah, we could give up 120 points, but we're going to score 125. So it doesn't really matter. And that was working for them. But when they've gone to a bit of a lull, which they have, you know, again, like I said, they, they're at 117 per 100 over the last couple of weeks, which is really down for them, really, really down for them. They were breaking all kinds of records in terms of offensive efficiency, and they're still averaging 122 per 100 on the entire season, but that's way down from where they were at, which was around like 125 or something before this, this low stretch. So when they're not able to just devastate teams with the offense, they have nothing to go to. They have nothing to go to. And I don't know if it has to do with the the in-season tournament, the offensive lull that they're experiencing. They're shifting things around, moving Obi Toppin out of the starting lineup. We'll see how long that lasts. I'm not, I, I can only assume that is for defensive purposes. And, um, you know, Obi has been good on ball in some spots defensively. You know, we, we, we posted about him guarding Jimmy Butler and doing really well in that matchup. But, you know, Obi's offense has been tremendous, like undoubtedly has been tremendous. There's really no blemish offensively that Obi has had, you know, again, plus 1.3 EPM on offense. His true shooting is 97th percentile, 70% true shooting. Uh, effective field goal percentage, 97th percentile, rim finishing, 99th percentile. He's shooting 38% from three, uh, which will be his clear, by far his career high. Um, even on the offensive boards, he's been pretty good. Like his offense has been awesome. He doesn't turn the ball over. Offense, awesome offensive player. Kind of the player that we expect to see Obi Toppin be when he got into the NBA. This is, this is Obi Toppin. Defensively, he's been sp- spotty and... I guess, you know, they're trying to see what they can figure out as far as like how to stop teams. But I, I at the end of the day, I do think it, I agree with you. And I, that's why I want to say I think it's a tremendous point you made about Halliburton because I think it comes down to Halliburton. I think it comes down to Halliburton on the on the defensive end. And if he's going to give effort and really lock in on that side, that is going to determine what this team is going to do. And no matter how many pieces of duct tape they try to tape over um you know all the leaks that they have by putting in Nemhard and all these other things i think at the end of the day if if Halliburton's not going to lock in the team is not going to lock in um yeah yeah i i just want to add one last thing before we move on um i'm a bit torn on what the optimal path forward for the pacers is is in terms of talent acquisition because obviously this isn't the finished product. They know that Halburn's their guy, but they're definitely open-minded and and flexible regarding how to best, you know, build around him. We've talked about OG Ananobi, you know, but is it possible that Ananobi would just be uh, like a Band-Aid for a bullet wound? Or is it possible that he would just be part of the equation? Do they need to get a second a second primary initiator sort of the way the Knicks have both Brunson and Randall like Brunson's defense is bad but how bad would it be if he was creating offense at the level Halliburton would be like we don't even know and I don't mean that to excuse Halliburton but like I do think that you watch Jalen Brunson you watch the film he's trying to execute Tibbs' schemes I would never ever begrudge Brunson for a lack of effort is he perfect does he miss some stuff of course but he's there taking charges. He's there. His body's on the ground. He tries stunting. He tries recovering. He's trying. Um, if you took away the Randall possessions and replaced him with Obi Toppin, had nobody at the power forward initiating offense, and it was just on Brunson to create all the offense for that starting lineup, I have to imagine his defense would take a hit. And so my point is, is that 
maybe the Pacers are going to be on OG. And I look, OG is a good fit on any team. He just is. Um, that sort of defense and shooting, defensive versatility. He can do it. He's not great with the ball in his hands, but he can at least do a little bit. He can do more than he's being tasked with in uh, Toronto. Would it be in the Pacers' best interest to pair Ananobi with a Zach Levine type? I, I don't. They couldn't afford Levine, but you know what I'm saying. Is it possible that pairing Halliburton with somebody who can take the ball out of his hands more, leverage Halliburton's gravity, which by the way is good. When he's off ball, he's helping you too. He's a more willing catch and shooter than people realize, especially from the corners. Put the ball in somebody else's hands. All of a sudden, he's doing less. Does that plus OG move the defense up more than people might think? All of a sudden, are they a fringe contender in the Eastern Conference? In the Eastern Conference, I, I don't think it's that crazy. It's a great question. I think to me, Halliburton's promise has always been the fact that he is always additive in any situation, not the fact that he is a heliocentric, ball dominant, you know, offensive engine. He can do that. And obviously we've seen him do that and conduct, a, you know, an all-time great offense. But I also also think that if you have him in a role in certain circumstances where he's not running the show and he's playing off ball, he's still, like you said, he has great gravity. He's a great catch and shoot player. He can also attack off of closeouts as well. And then he, he, if you have Halliburton going downhill, uh, you know, with the advantage, having attacked a closeout, that's, you know, to talk about Lob City, that's Lob City. Um, so I think he, I think he would work really well, even as like a secondary, um, creator as opposed to a, a primary creator. And maybe that would give him some, some time to, uh, some, some win to, to, to expend some energy on the defensive end. So I, I totally agree with that. I don't think it's like a Zach Levine type to me personally. I don't think he needs a guy who is a, a really good initiator and a terrible defender or anything like that or, or a bad defender i think i think he probably needs a player and i'm gonna say a name but like everybody can use this kind of player so it's silly like a desmond bain you know a, a bain who a really good defender very solid can hold his own is is gonna have solid defensive impact but could also run the show at points when necessary and we saw bain thrust into this role where he's like the lead uh, primary initiator with, with jaw out. And that was not quite the role that he could elevate his team to, to be really good in that role. But as a secondary uh, creator, he's awesome. Bain is, is, is ridiculous. He can, he can do a little bit of everything. He could run some pick and rolls. He can, he can, he can initiate an offense much better than people give him credit for. And then also is a ridiculous off ball player. One of the best off ball players in the NBA. So I think a guy like that, in addition to an OG, that makes them a title contender to me. That's the kind of fit that he needs. The problem is, I don't know how many Desmond Baines are there in the NBA. Like there, that there's one. You know, Derek White, another one. Um, I don't. There's just so few of those kinds of guys that. But I do think that would be the ideal pairing. Do you think that Halliburton, Bain, OG, Obi, or Neesmith and Turner would be the best? Would would that? Do you think that could compete with Boston? That would be a title contender to me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that construction is so synergetic and um, synergistic. I don't remember the word. Um, we go back and forth. 
<laughs> words are, you know, we're, we're math guys. We can just make up words. That's cool. <laughs> That's fair. As long as people know what we mean. Um, yeah. Speaking I think, of, speak, speaking of, uh, yeah. oh no, you go first. No, you go first. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I think that that team can compete for a championship. I think Boston is so good. Like I'm on the page with you where they're so good that it's like, if they're healthy, I don't know that we can uh, imagine a constructed team that's going to really be like, I'm going to pick them over Boston. But I do think that that's a competitive team. I, I think even if you put, I think even if you put Halliburton with like uh, Donovan Mitchell, but I'm not sure just because of the defensive struggles, but it could be a similar dynamic, but yeah, Halliburton, Bain, you know, one of OB or Neesmith, um, Turner and OG, as far as a starting lineup, I think that's one of the best constructed starting lineups in the NBA. Yeah. I was just gonna, I mean, another sort of fringe title contender right now, who's kind of confusing is the Timberwolves. Um, I, I actually don't know what to do with them because if you look at their, just look at their season long results, it's like they're winning so many tough matchups and then they're just randomly losing games that you're just like, what, what, what happened there? You know? And yeah, I don't know if, if I'm supposed to take away from that, that the go bear towns front court is just capped. Maybe Edwards still isn't, you know, we were putting him in fringe MVP discussions early to start the season. I think he's, he's tapered off a little bit and he's, he's definitely reeled it in from an impact perspective. McDaniels is just getting back from injury. We know he's, you know, a pretty damn good three and D guy. Uh, he's one of the best defenders in the league actually. Um, and then Conley is just kind of the perfect point guard for that group. Like obviously you could do better, but you know, you're assuming the other four guys, you know that you want Edwards to be your number one option. You know that for Towns to maximize his impact, he needs to space, he needs to shoot, and he needs to do some things with the ball in his hands. So even Conley in his older age, you know, he's going to knock down threes. He's going to be in the right spots. He's going to run pick and roll a little bit. He still can defend. Um, I don't know. What, do you, what What are your thoughts on the Timberwolves? Do you think they're for real? What What are you yeah. thinking? I think the Timberwolves are legit. Like, I'm not worried about the Timberwolves. Yeah, I agree with you. They've had, like, weird random losses that are just like, well, like losing to the Pelicans or something like that. But at the same time, I think that they're legit. I think their defense is legit. I think their defense has sustained all season. You know, even looking over the last two weeks, they still have the fifth-ranked defense in the NBA um, over the course of the season. Obviously, the first-ranked defense in the NBA. Like, I think their defense is is real it is what it is we're gonna see that against essentially any team the weakness to them or the most glaring thing that i've seen is their loss to oklahoma city who i think at full strength i think okc will beat minnesota in a series like i don't think that i think that's a bad matchup for minnesota i think that okc has enough to deal with like the the the, the carl anthony towns problem that uh, some other teams have um and the Anthony Edwards problem that some other teams have. I think OKC has the right components to deal with them. And then offensively, I don't think because because really what what it comes down to is Minnesota for me anyway. Minnesota has the wings. They have the wing defenders that nobody else in the league has. Almost these guys who are super long, McDaniel's, um, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Yeah, these guys, I mean, even Kyle Anderson is a, is a really good wing defender. These guys 
can uh, help to shut down some of the better wings in the NBA. And the fact is that with SGA, he just neutralizes those guys. Like I was watching that Thunder and, and Wolves game. It was a really fun game to watch. It didn't matter who you put on SGA. Like you put his cousin on him, irrelevant. You put McDaniels on him, he just gets to the rim. He gets not only does SGA get to the rim at will, he also gets to the rim on whatever side of the rim that he wants to. So if you bring help, if you bring nail help or something like that, he'll just go to the other side and get all the way to the rim. Like you literally cannot stop. You can't choose a path. You can't send help and it's like, oh, okay, we'll shut him down because we'll force him this way. He'll go the other way. Like you can't stop him. And no matter what, I, this sounds, I know that sound hyperbolic. Can you tell I'm a fan of SGA? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I just think that, that they have the antidote. They have the solution to the, the problems that Minnesota poses, but Outside of that team in the West, I think that they can really compete with anybody just based on their defense. I think they can do enough offensively. And we know like when it comes down to it, and I'm not one of these like crunch time guys, like whatever, whatever. But when it comes down to it, Anthony Edwards, he can get a shot off. He can get a good shot off. He is nearly impossible to stop. Um, he can hit a spot up three. Uh, you know, he makes good decisions with the ball. I just think I think they have enough firepower that they're they're not like the magic in that like their defense may be legit but they have no firepower that the Minnesota Timberwolves are the, are almost the opposite on offense. I think they have a great defense and I think that that's legit and their offense I think can definitely carry them to real contender status. Are you are you kind of out on them as far as a real, a real contender in the West or what are you thinking? I think that they're still a piece away. I think their depth is going to be an issue in the playoffs. I think a huge burden is going to be put on Edwards' shoulders. And I thought you made a great point when you brought up OKC in the matchup. I think when you look across the West, they're actually going to end up being some pretty rough matchups for Minnesota because a lot of the teams in the West are capable of going small and mitigating Gobert's defensive impact, which is a huge driver of the team's success. Um it's not just OKC, in my opinion. I wouldn't love Minnesota in a series against the Clippers. I wouldn't love Minnesota in a series. Shit. I'm not going to say it because they look awful right now, but even against like the Suns, <laughs> um, you know, like if the Timberwolves got that 1 8 matchup against the Suns and the Suns were healthy, I guarantee, look, I'm not saying that the Suns would win. I guarantee you the closing line would be smaller than minus 150. Like, the books just wouldn't have that as this huge advantage for Minnesota. That'd be true. That'd be true for the Suns against anyone, though. The Suns are always gonna gonna kind of get some love from the books just based on the superstar advantage. You don't think so? I don't know. I feel like that. I feel like if the books were gonna try to bias it or use people's biases against them, it would it would work the other way. Like they would they they want you to bet Phoenix. If if what you're saying is true, uh, I'm not saying that the superstar advantage is real. I'm saying that people believe in it, so people would bet. For I know, things. right? And I'm saying that that would move the line down. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, it's cool. Um, I, and you just keep looking in the West, and it's just like there are all these teams that I don't know how many teams in the West. Minnesota's going to be able to be like, no, actually, you're operating on our terms. Unless Edwards can 
really, really sustained greatness as like a top five, 10 player in the league. Um, I don't, I don't view them as a title contender. So do you think, do you think that, I mean, what we've seen from Towns is we've seen early on in the season, he was awful, almost had like a Julius Randle like start to the season where he was extremely inefficient, couldn't buy a shot. He's come on exceedingly well of late. And obviously I, I believe that, I think that you believe this as well. And you've, you've talked about this. Carl Anthony Towns is best offensive impact comes from when he's a center because that's where he has the best advantage. But I do think as far as his efficiency, he can, he can take some fours off the dribble. He can post up some smaller fours. I think he's a, I think he's a little bit underrated at this point in terms of being a, a the two offensively to Anthony Edwards. It, it feels a little bit like when, not you, but when people talk about the, the Timberwolves, it's like, yeah, Anthony Edwards, and he's out there and just has to do it all, and it's him and a bunch of guys, defenders around him. It's like, well, <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns has been one of the best offensive players in the league over the last 10 years. So I, you know, I, I like a lot of that comes from him being at the five and, and having that advantage, but his shooting's incredible from three-point, mid-range. You know, again, like I said, he can post up. Uh, he can pass a little bit. I, I don't know. I think I think Towns is getting a little bit underrated in the equation. And I think I don't think Anthony Edwards needs to be that, like, he's going to be a, a inhuman top-five offensive player that no one can stop. It's the only way they'll move forward. I think Towns can do a lot more than, than we're giving him credit for. He can. Um, and the point you brought up about you know, using his size against power forwards, that's going to be helpful. Although I wish Towns, and I know it's harder with Gobert on the court, but at least in the Nas Reed minutes, I wish he would utilize his back to the basket game a little bit more. He really, really likes attacking. Like he's a guard, you know, like dribble, like getting his, his, it's, it's, it's a little bit frustrating as a neutral observer because when he was at Kentucky, his back to the basket game was so advanced, you know, and that was, and his rookie season, people forget this. He had one of the greatest rookie seasons like of all time. Like he was just immediately really good. He was an inside out guy. That's what he was. You know, he was a center who got touches back to the basket and he would occasionally shoot threes. Now he's very firmly outside in everything he does starts with the three. He's leveraging his ability to shoot threes. And when people close out too tight, he tries to take them out the bounce. Like he's a wing or a guard. Um, I think it's because think, of Gobert, though. Do you do you don't you don't think so? I feel like he's intentionally playing that way because he's in that role. Like he's playing like a Julius Randle. I feel like right, he is. And I'm saying that when he shares the court with Nas Reed, I think he can switch it up because yeah. Nas Reed is the spacer in those, or they're both spacers. That's why those lines are just so successful. Yeah. Um, because they're basically playing five out if you have the right combination of Nas Reed. Can we talk like? Nas Reed is, I can't believe what a perfect like tweener or bridge between a divide he's served. Everybody is, everybody since the Gobert trade has been like, okay, now they're locked into this kind of bullshit of two centers playing all the time. And what Nas Reed has allowed them to do is he's given them a second 5-4 tweener who's an elite shooter who can spell the town's minutes and just play power forward next to Rudy Gobert and go with these tall twin tower, tons of rim protection with shooting still. 
and then you put him next to Towns, you maintain the rim protection, but now you're five out and you're playing a totally different style. That versatility is incredible to me. That was such an underrated signing this offseason. Yeah, I I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think Nas Reed, and, and okay, Nas Reed is shooting like 41% from three. Do I think he's a 41% three-point shooter? I mean, it's possible. He's also, but he's also shooting 90-something percent from the free throw line. Do I think he's on a little bit of a, a heater? Yes, but that considered, if he comes down to like 37%, it's still perfect. He's still perfect. He fits exactly what they want to do. And as a counterpunch to the Gobert-like lineups, it's crazy. It's just like, hey, uh, you know, we're kind of playing Gobert off the court a little bit. What are you going to do now? Oh, we'll just bring in Nas Reed. Like, that is... That's an awesome advantage that they have, which I feel like insulates them to some of the disadvantages that you described, which I think is true. I think Gobert is all-world, all-time great defensive player, one of the greatest defensive players of all time. I just said that in two different ways for some reason. I'm not sure why. But, um, yeah, I, I and, and, and his, he's susceptible to being played off the court, and that's something that we talked about in a previous episode. But... The fact is that in those other circumstances, when Gobert is off, it's like your your defense dive bombs. But in this case, I don't think it does because you still have the wings and you still have Nas Reed, who's a really good defensive player as well. So I think that they have it's a great kind of combination to have along with Carl Anthony Towns. And I, and I think that that really bodes well for them as long as those guys stay healthy. I just think that this is a legit team and I think that they'd be OK against against pretty much anyone outside of, a, of an OKC, in my opinion. Well, the big thing is, we and we talked about this last episode, the Gobert minutes in the playoffs are going to be tough. Like, not overall, but there are just going to be stretches where you're like, oh, shit, like, they're ignoring him on offense and they're not even going in the paint on defense. They're just getting all these open threes. We have to do something. The existence of Nas Reed makes that much more tenable. And Rudy Gobert, for all of his, you know, whatever you think of him as a person, he doesn't scream to me as someone who wouldn't get it, who wouldn't be like, okay, like uh, this is my team. You know, like he, he, I feel like he's someone who wants what's best for the team overall. Um, so if I was going to, to go back real quick to your Edwards versus Towns point, I do think that when the defense slows down, and this is the reason why I brought up the way Towns gets his baskets when things slow down in the half court, you just need someone who's creating those breakdowns organically. And I don't see Towns as somebody who, even against power forwards, you want consistently giving the ball uh, on the outside and like creating like he's Julius Randle. I, that's not how I think is the best way to utilize him, and I don't think it's best for team offense. Um I think Edwards is pretty much the only guy who can do that sort of thing in those moments. And so, yes, I do believe that Towns can be a, a very good number two option on a, on a team that I, I, I'm not worried about that. Actually Towns was great last postseason. Like I, I just think that the threshold for this team being a championship contender, it's going to be two things. It's number one, can Edwards make the leap? Can he can he separate himself from Edwards? Because I think, or excuse me, from Towns, because I think Towns is a more known product. And number two, is Finch willing to cut down the Gobert minutes if they're being exploited? I think those are the two things to watch for. 
And I think if you check a green box next to both those things, I believe the Timberwolves can can uh, contend. I'm just not sure Edwards, who's still very young, by the way. I'm not out on him long term. I'm still just not sure Edwards is going to get there this season. And I think they're they're going to struggle a little bit in those big matchups. Yeah, that's really fair. I think that's I think that's really fair. That's well said by you and and well heard by me. I will say as well. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, as, as we're winding this episode down, I just want to say uh, happy anniversary to us. This is the tenth episode of Hot Hand Theory. We could not be more appreciative for every single listener. I also wanted to say how we are close to 700 followers on Twitter, well over 100 subscribers on YouTube, tons of engagement and interaction from so many listeners. I don't know about you, Jeff. For me, this thing is growing extremely quickly for a completely independent venture that we started. Like, uh, you know, a new sports pod without backing doesn't necessarily grow like this. This is not a guarantee that it would. Um, and you know, in large part is because tons of our friends in the space have been pushing and promoting us. The Strickland has been amazing and specifically Schwinny Poo and, you know, Nick's film school having us on the platform to share what we do. And just the fact that this analytical approach and perspective that we convey, it seems to resonate with people. And it's just so gratifying because you always hear like, you know, no one wants to hear the data nerd stuff or whatever, the spreadsheet watchers, <laughs> but you know, apparently some people do and we really, really appreciate it. And you know, if you're listening, dropping a comment or leaving a like, or especially subscribing helps us out so much. And you know, I, I, and we are dedicated to engaging with every single comment that we get on this channel, whether we agree with it or disagree with it. So anything you write, we'll see. And um, yeah, I just wanted to to give a shout out to the audience and, and, and just have a little bit of celebration for the fact that this is our 10th, our 10th episode already. And it's, it's going great. Yeah. Um, I thought, I mean, that was really, really well said, God, screw it. Anybody, anybody DMs me or XJ well said, I'll, I'll demo you, I'll, ve- I'll demo you 10 bucks. That's, that's, this this uh, ten tenth episode anniversary gift you get ten bucks if you for first person to to DM me or XJ well, well if there if there's a number of them we'll make a raffle out of it again or something I don't know um, but I I thought the point where you really nailed it is like you know I DM'd you on Twitter almost a year ago now maybe even over a year ago now and we spent months talking about like what's the best way to go with this. How can we, how can we, cause literally all we wanted to do was talk about basketball. Like we knew our, our views on basketball were pretty aligned. We are super appreciative and grateful for our audience. But so I don't mean this dismissively, but we didn't even really like care if people did listen. We were just like, we like talking basketball with each other and we want somewhere to produce it or, or to, to share it, I guess. Um, but we are completely there's nobody else who's a part of the hot hand theory team right now. Like there are guests who, you know, you'll, you'll see soon, you know, we've had Schwinn on, we'll have, we have some really fun guests lined up the rest of the season, but all the work you see on the Twitter account, all the art is XJ. Like, I mean, XJ does like most of the work, honestly. Like I'm just, I'm just sort of here. Um, I got to interject. (laughs) That is unequivocally false. Jeff has single-handedly grown our, all of our social media across different platforms puts a ton of work in on film study does all the film study i don't do any of that so that yeah i, I want to say the do, work is e- either it's even or jeff does slightly more but proceed 
du- duop wreath baby if i'm pronouncing that right most recent most recent film thread mm-hmm. new hot hand theory favorite um so you know you, you watch all these videos on youtube or you listen to stuff on spotify and it's like oh like and you know you're like dude fuck this like this is like a produced podcast. Like I don't want to give blue wire, you know, and that's not shade of blue wire, but it's like, I just want people who are listening to know any support you give us, you're giving directly to us. And that's why we're so committed to like, if you comment on something we do on Twitter, on YouTube, Instagram, anywhere we are, we're doing our best to interact with you because our goal is to talk positively about the NBA and to help shape the discussion and frame the discussions more positively. And that's useless if the second y'all start engaging with us, we're, we just ignore you. That doesn't, that we're not, we're not doing what the whole foundation of this podcast is, and this company, frankly, is trying to do, you know, and hopefully one day if it builds and grows to a point that we think it can, because we think people are smart and want to have smart discussions, you know, who knows what the, the sky is honestly the limit for our, for what we can do because there's analytics growing in all sorts of fields. You know, it's not just basketball and, and we love basketball, but we love logic and we love, you know, we're just trying to make the community not better. That sounds freaking uh, pompous, but we're just trying to do what we can to help uh, frame discussions more open-mindedly and, you know, uh, more honest discourse. That was a long rant, but yeah. No, I loved it and agreed with all of it. Yeah, just, yeah, absolutely co-sign all of that. And also, but still shout out Blue Wire. No, no, I'm happy. I like Blue Wire still. Um, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't saying anything bad about them. Yeah, They're yeah, great. Yeah, no, no, you were You were Um And shout out Ball is Life. And anybody else who wants to sponsor us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, that, I think that's all great and totally agree. Um, yeah, thank you all so much. Uh, this has been Hot Hand Theory.